I, uh, I was relieved to see that just a little picture of me up in the corner there. Uh, but that went away and now there's a big picture revealing all the horrid, co oh, thank you. I'd rather look at you guys than at me. Anyway, it was revealing all the horrid clutter of my uh, my cell here, my monastic cell. So I, I apologize for that. And you've lived in the same spot for over 20 years, stuff accumulates. You know. Good evening, everyone. I'd um, rather be there with you. Um, even though it's, what, 61 degrees here in San Francisco, and Lord only knows how warm it is in Sacramento. But uh, this way of sharing the Dharma with you is uh, awkward and feels a little, <laughs> I don't know what, constrained. Um, it's uh, noble of you to undertake this uh, path. In spite of its being, I think, maybe a bit unfamiliar to some of you. Um, setting aside the um, the some of the peculiar trappings uh, that we have uh, received and adopted from our uh, teachers in the mystic East, uh, the question, of course, eventually. Uh, if not immediately, occurs to people who undertake this path, what, what are we trying to accomplish? Um, but simply, we are um, we would like our own life and effort and experience to validate Shakyamuni Buddha's earth-shaking insight into reality. Uh, the other day I saw, uh, what was that? Maybe it was on Reddit, one of those 
pervasive uh, online phenomena. And uh, there was a, there's a section on that's just, I think, called Buddhism. And someone was asking, in general, the question, uh, well, I, uh, he said, I'm um, not sure, you know, can I really trust what has survived of Buddhism to this day. Uh, somehow he had gotten the impression that uh, Buddhism simply borrowed everything from the Jain path. And I, mostly nowadays, I refrain from getting involved in internet discussions of one kind or another, since they uh, fairly often they kind of devolve into ill-tempered exchanges of one kind or another. But I was very tempted to say that in my decade of studying Sanskrit and and Buddhism at University of California, I had never heard that. Um, Buddha did not simply borrow the um, substance of his teaching from the Jaina path. It's true that Buddha and Mahavira, who is the inspiring founding figure of the Jaina path, were rough contemporaries. But uh, apart from some superficial resemblances, there's some tremendous differences. And the main difference is based on Buddha's insight. And his insight has to do with, of course, the source of suffering. And um, by the way, I was reminded that you guys are using the so-called loving kindness meditation uh, in your chant book and not the metta sutta. Uh, so it, uh, at one time, I think San Francisco Zen Center had... Um, was using uh, one translation or another of the Metta Sutta, the uh, scripture on Metta or Maitri, or people often say loving kindness. And then uh, a, um, a senior person decided it, it required some modification. Uh, that's uh, mostly to be found. Uh, well, first of all, it was decided that people didn't want to say loving kindness. They wanted to say love, which is a little askew, but okay. And then at the end of the uh, chant, the 
Pali says something like, um, one who is made perfect will never again know rebirth in the cycle of the creation of suffering for oneself or others. So this is uh, this that last phrase I think is extremely important. Uh, because the the suffering that seems inherent in our human life or our human way is not only about our own dukkha as it's called but it's about also the suffering of others and until our what our own apprehension of reality is not clarified, then our dukkha invariably spreads to other beings, mixes with their own, and um, creates what elsewhere in uh, our scriptural tradition is called this mass of suffering. So it's good to remember that our cultivation of the Buddha way is meant to have a wider effect than simply our own uh, painful life. Still, the expression in, in the Pali, uh, one who is made perfect, is a little odd. I think we can understand that to refer to one whose distorted view of reality has been corrected. In the Buddha way, uh, you don't generally speak about, oh, we're going to become this perfected being. It's not generally how we understand this practice. But since the source of suffering is a misapprehension of reality, That is the um, that is the most effective focus of our effort. Now we know the uh, story or stories of Buddha's own awakening. 
And it is said that, uh, depending on who you listen to, after spending some 49 days under the uh, particular uh, ficus religiosa tree, uh, where he had taken his seat, he um, his own apprehension of reality, or maybe his misapprehension, was shattered when he beheld the morning star. Um, after a night of uh, encountering, among other things, the uh, and embodiment of uh, skewed views known as Mara, sometimes called the, the tempter. Now it's known that uh, Buddha did receive instruction in meditation uh, from others who were engaging in such cultivation uh, at that time. And so he had some skill in what the late Edward Kanza, Buddhist scholar Edward Kanza, liked to call transic concentration. Um, which we can presume to mean the cultivation of transic or trance states. And yet, the occasion or moment of his awakening, he was not practicing that kind of thing. He simply looked up and beheld the sky at dawn. And again, depending on how you interpret the story, uh, uh, eons of misapprehension of his own nature and thus the nature of reality was broken through. This inspired countless millions of people over millennia to follow Buddha's path of cultivation and to spread over major portions of the earth and eventually making its way to our... Um, our uh, feverish Western society. And uh, some have interpreted the story of Shakyamuni Buddha's experience as indicating um, 
the need to make a grim muscular effort. to, some say, defeat delusion or penetrate delusion. Maybe this comes from, I don't know, our, some, some shared human sense that uh, In a way, our life involves a certain amount of struggle. So therefore, practicing the Buddha way must involve more struggle. But in uh, our inheritance of the Zen path, we don't usually talk that way. Uh, Some have interpreted Zen or Chan to be the path where the most desperate, concentrated struggle occurs. So we have much, much talk of cultivating different, difficult yogic postures and enduring massive amounts of pain and so forth. And if we're, if we're really lucky, someone will come along with a stick and hit us to enhance our experience. <laughs> but examined with a calmer mind or heart, that's not how the teaching looks. And if we are able to trust the Buddha way completely, maybe we can find a way to cultivate that involves both abandoning both struggle and non-struggle. To uh, sit upright in what Dogen called correct bodily posture, which simply means with as much of a a degree of balance as we can sense for ourselves. And in so doing, allow reality or things as they are to come forward. And little by little, over time, correcting wrong view. 
Now, some say at some point there is a sudden reversal. And if maybe if you have been reading the Avatamsaka Sutra, you've come across this notion of the Ashraya Paravrti in Sanskrit. Paravrti meaning something like uh, revolution. And Ashraya is the basis. So the basis revolves or perhaps turns over. And the nature of our being is clarified. And the astonishing truth of Buddha's insight is verified in our own lives. Now, whatever superficial similarities there are between Buddha's way and the jaina path, Buddha's insight into the nature of our human life, our human being, um, really was and is revolutionary. And had no actual parallel in his day. Which uh, made him, um, in some ways, uh, extremely popular, and in other ways, he was viewed as a terrible heretic. What the what his fellow uh, North Indians called a nastika. That is a um, someone who says in the Sanskrit naasti or it isn't so. So Buddha, of course, said, you, you or we may think that we are isolated individual beings floating helplessly through an uncaring universe. And Buddha said, nasty, it is not so. This is the, the crux, the heart of wrong view of the the viparyasa drishti, the inverted view, the upside-down view. So 
again, if I, we trust the Buddha way, maybe, I don't know, little by little, maybe all at once, we can accept that sitting upright in stillness things as they actually are will reveal themselves. As Dogen said, speaking somewhat poetically, the 10,000 things will come forward and validate how the self actually is. instead of the backward way of our habitual mind, which is we bring the self forward and try to put its mark on everything we encounter. So the heart of our sitting is This upright posture, this posture of balance, and cultivating the quiet heart, the quiet mind, which sees things as they are correctly, and eventually quiets the nagging voice of the habit mind, which keeps reasserting our experience of being isolated in this great universe. from my perch on the second floor of one mountain temple here in San Francisco. I, uh, it's quite windy outside. I can hear the wind and we have a wind bell in the backyard that responds to the movement of the wind. And just sitting here with you, 
it is um, revealed anew that there is just one source for all that is happening. I also hear um, any number of sirens, of police, fire, ambulance, and whatnot. And bringing to mind that our practice is also rooted in the vow, the intention that the suffering of others must likewise end. Before the great work can be thought of as being accomplished. This of course expresses Buddha's great vow And I was thinking the other day that I was I was being grateful for the extraordinary patience of my teachers and their generosity. And how that patience was an expression of that vow. And likewise, our Our uh, effort and our intention as followers of the Buddha way are swept up in that vow and carried forward. Some of of, um, Buddha's followers were inspired to think of not just the historical Buddha, Shakyamuni, our our original teacher, we say sometimes, but it's as though there were a tremendous figure of Buddha off in the West in a paradise known as the Pure Land. And That Buddha, known as Amitabha, the Buddha of unlimited light, is uh, constantly uh, generating a space, if you will, for sentient beings to be born in where their practice 
will encounter no hindrance whatsoever. That vow also sweeps us up and carries us forward. And we can also call that um, that great wave. We can also regard that as an expression of loving kindness, of Maitri or Metta. carrying not just us, but all beings forward to the time where the creation of suffering for ourselves and others is finished. And that, I would say, is what is meant by one who is made perfect. That is, one who is carried forward in that wave of vow of intention that includes all suffering beings. So that Metta Sutta also says, abandoning vague discussion, freed from sense appetites, etc. So I, uh, I tire of speaking. And maybe in some ways, My address to you is perhaps guilty of being vague discussion. Nor can I particularly claim to be being free from sense appetites, except sometimes. And that is true for all of us. So maybe we can continue to, from time to time, adopt the posture of freedom from sense appetites, which is the posture of our cultivation.
and simply let that be so. And our own moment, or maybe it's better to say moments of beholding the morning star. will be the fruit of practice for us and for all beings. So please keep at it. Please keep adopting the posture of correct view and let that have its uh, subtle but unmistakable effect on your own body-mind. I think maybe that's enough for now. But if you have any question, please speak up. Uh oh. Uh can't quite hear you, Jim. I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Better? No? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Quite loud in here, I think. But uh we'll do our best. Um I was I have an inquiry about uh Shraya or the uh, basis. Uh, is the basis uh mind? Or what is what is your understanding of the basis? Well, I do not claim to be an expert, but I regard the basis possibly as something like a point of view. Hmm. That's obviously that's not going to be separate from this body mind. But I also wouldn't necessarily equate it with mind itself entirely. It's more like the point on which the spinning top of the body-mind rests. Thank you. Perhaps then the the paravrti, is when the top actually stops spinning 
and falls over. <laughs> Something like that. Thank you. Uh, Todd has a question on Zoom. Please, I, uh, I don't have a picture, but please go ahead. Yeah, I don't know if you can, you can barely see me. I'm sitting in the backyard. Oh. Sorry, Neosan. Oh, there you are. I am here. Um, but I don't have a question so much as I just wanted to say thank you very much for, uh, what for me was a very inspirational talk. Um, we don't often hear teachers talking about, ironically, <laughs> Buddha's enlightenment. Uh, in, in such a direct fashion. And I found it very, um, wonderful and, uh, reminded me of at a time when I've been questioning the most important thing. So I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm glad you could be here. Here, in, here in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Reverend Mio. It's Larry. Hi, Larry. I share Todd's sentiment. I don't have so much a question as appreciation for your talk this evening. Uh, really marvelous. You could have heard a pin drop here in the Zendo. I think everybody was listening to each word. And, and, and the talk was so good that you actually answered such a peripheral question that I had in my mind until you answered it, which was something about what is that bell in the background? <laughs> so thank you yeah. very much. Of course. Uh, Galen on Zoom has a question. Please. Hi, Reverend Neil. Thank you for your talk. I um. I'm wondering about, I'm not sure if I'm using the right language, but the cliches or sort of, if we're looking at Buddha's awakening, um, like, and I think Rev Anderson was talking about it as well this weekend at Noah Boat, um, the third book of the Avatamsaka Sutra. The third book? Yeah. The Avatam of the is it the Avatamsaka Sutra? Avatamsaka, yes. Um so it, it, within that context I'm sort of wondering do cliches ever completely like re the remnants go away? Is that sort of what we aspire to or would it be considered normal to notice anger or fear and not be moved by it in any way? Yeah. Um, so when, when uh, we recite the Bodhisattva vows, 
um, the 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 second vow. Well, the first vow, of course, acknowledges our obligation to uh, cultivate the path of freedom for all beings, and the second one. Uh, let's see. The second one in the the Sino-Japanese pronunciation, we say "bonno mujin seigandan," which literally means "bonno" is actually klesha, even though we don't use that translation. And uh, "seigand," of course, means to accept the the vow or the training. Um, and dan means actually to cut through or penetrate. So, uh, although in former times we used to say that that, that vow has to do with eliminating or ending all kleshas, that is perhaps not correct. And that what we rather than hold out some rather <clears throat> distant and mysterious future where there are no clashes ever anymore. The idea might be more like, can we cultivate the correct view that sees through them? I would say that's closer to the truth. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, one hears all kinds of things. I was just thinking uh, today that there was a chap, I don't know what's happened to him, uh, on the internet, this was quite a few years ago, who identified himself as definitely an arhat. I thought, well, that's interesting. And he said he had visited various Buddhist authorities and decided they had absolutely nothing to teach him. Oh, uh, how interesting. Well, and I assume that he meant that all clashes had been removed for him, ended by him. And I also thought, boy, is that ever dangerous to think that, that I am now free of clashes. And we have seen examples of what happens to people who actually decide that that's true. And lo and lo and behold, they start doing some stuff that is, you know, really askew. Let's put it that way. So I think the our our uh, task is to cultivate the mind that can see through klesha, and in that way, uh, be free from being compelled by kleshas towards certain behavioral paths. Really helpful. What would you say to someone who has been really disconnected from their body? Mm -hmm. Like in terms of safety, when something doesn't not completely like 
just not belonging doesn't even belong to it like two separate almost entities like the mind and the body mm-hmm. well yeah that's um i think that's part of the heritage of our uh, the european enlightenment is to kind of aggravate that separation uh and at the same time in from our inheritance of buddhist teaching we we uh have the notion that body and mind are a single suchness and our style of cultivation is based on that that body and mind are one suchness and as time goes by uh, even if there is this habit of separation that will finally relax and collapse uh and in fact that can happen over and over and over again and over time that becomes established as the right view so there is that you might say salvation for us that 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 uh you know bodies over here and minds up here somewhere that uh, artificial separation uh is healed Beautiful. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Hi, Miosan. This is Oscar. Hi, Oscar. Here I am on the screen. I see you. Um, Thank you very much for the talk. I, I concur with everyone else's value, um, appreciation. And um, I was particularly, among other, among other things, I was struck by your statement, everything that is happening has one source. And uh, it's just, uh, um, it's uh, wonderful to think about that one source and what it might be. And uh, it just, there's no end to thinking about that. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm prompted by Galen's comment to, to, um, to uh, I think about my own practice, which nowadays is largely focused on uh, just uh, like appreciating my heart. I call it my heart. It's just uh, what's happening inside, and there's no, you know, amorphous uh, feeling states uh, without trying to um, navig- navigate them or name them or use them. Um, and I've noticed that as a result of that, somehow, uh, and being friendly, friendly to uh to those feelings and um and gradually opening to the appreciation of how deeply i have been committed uh for a long time to uh not wanting to know what i was feeling and how it was feeling for me mm. and uh 
And as that's been evolving, I've noticed that it also, so I, it seems associated with uh, a greater appreciation for my physical body mm-hmm. somehow uh, in space, the way my body is in space and kind of a space being spacey. Um, and, and that also is associated with other, what, how other spatial objects, uh, how they are. So, um, so it's always so inspiring. Thank you so much to hear. And I lived, I just love it when you, when you talk in Sanskrit. Thank you for your uh, your empathy and your scholarship and your everything you bring to us. I appreciate it very much. Well, it's almost the witching hour of 9 p.m. Maybe that will do for now. I thank you all for your patient practice, patient cultivation of Buddha's way. Uh, of course, there's, there's a morning star every morning, which is great news for us. Thank you very much.